Hey, it is, uh, it's so good to see you. I hope that all is well. If this is your first time ever with us, thank you so much for trusting us with your Tuesday night. My name is Timothy Atik. I'm one of the teaching pastors here uh, at the porch as well as on Sunday mornings at Watermark, and I'm so glad you made it. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to all of our Porch Live locations that are joining us tonight in different parts of the nation. Hope all is well with you, and I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us. Uh, tonight, is a, it's a sweet moment for me because I get to introduce you to one of my very close friends, and you're going to have the opportunity uh, to hear from him tonight. Uh, my good friend, Kylan Perry, is here to communicate the Word of God, and he's here from Houston, Texas, if there's any uh, Houston people here. What you need to know about Kylan uh, is that he went to Texas A&M University, which is kind of important. Uh, but the way Kylan and I know each other is that we served together at Breakaway Ministries for over three years. And uh, what I really loved about Kylan is that he gave his 20s to Jesus. And now as he steps into his 30s, he, nothing has changed. And so when I think about young adults uh, in my world that are leveraging their lives for the sake of the gospel, Kylan is the one that comes to mind. And what I love about Kylan is that now uh, he is the director of Houston Metro, which is a Bible study that meets on Tuesday nights. So just like we are gathering here tonight, there's a group of young adults meeting at Houston's First Baptist Church in Houston right now, and they are lifting up the name of Jesus together, and I'm so glad that Kylan is here uh, to do that with us tonight. So in just a moment, he's going to come up, but before he does, I just want to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity to prepare your heart to hear the Word of God taught. And so would you just take a second and pray for yourself and just say, God, would you speak to me tonight? And then would you take a second and pray for Kylan and just say, God, would you speak mightily through Kylan tonight? Lord Jesus, you know how much I enjoy hearing Kylan teach the Word of God. And I think he is just one of the most gifted, authentic communicators of truth. And so I'm so glad that these friends get to hear him tonight. But more than anything, more than they get to hear from Kylan, I pray that they would just hear from you, that you would speak through Kylan to your people. Would you use him for your glory, but would you speak directly to our hearts? May we hear from you. We thank you that you've given us your word so that we might hear from you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys welcome Kylan Perry? What's up, Porch? So good to be with you this Tuesday night. Uh, TA just introduced me, but I'll do it just for the sake of making friends with the room. I'm Kylan, a young adults pastor in Houston, Texas. I heard some friends from Houston are in the room. It's good, glad you guys made it. It's also so fun to be in Dallas. And I'm not just saying that because 
I need to make alliances with y'all real fast in order for you to like me. Uh, I'm saying that because I have a lot of love for the city because the city has meant so much to me. Uh, First and foremost, my wife is from Dallas uh, and I get to carry a piece of this town with me 24 seven. And so I love the chance uh, to know that. And then uh, I, I have a lot of love for Dallas because the ministry that I lead is from here. Like we, we are in Houston and yet we were a porch live location. And then as we just started to see God doing something really unique in our city, similar to what he's doing here, we just started processing with a team with Josiah and and we just started talking about like, man, God, would you do something like what you're doing in Dallas and Houston? And so we set off, they commissioned us well and we're seeing God do it. He's doing something really unique in our generation. And then I'll say this, I have so much love for Dallas because I have a lot of love for TA. Uh, TA has, and I'm not just paying empty compliments. I was really judicious about thinking through this before walking up here and paying this. Uh, He has single-handedly marked my leadership more than anybody else that I know of. And he is quite possibly one of the most faithful people I know. And so, Porch, you're in really good hands. Uh, And I'm grateful to see what God does over the course of his time here with all of you. I'm excited to dump into the word with you. But before we do that, can I tell you a story? So a few years ago, Halloween was rolling around and I had a group of friends that they were wanting to throw a murder mystery party. Anybody been to a murder mystery party before in here? So they've got a murder mystery party going on. And I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty skeptical about it. I don't really know. Okay, we're going to dress up, put on costumes and get some sort of identity that we're supposed to act out over the course of the evening. Like I'm not a thespian, so I'm not real sure how this evening is going to go. And yet uh, I show up and people were all in, like mobsters, flappers. It's 1920s themed. And so everybody is acting the part to the full. And they're not just looking the part, like they're genuinely acting it with every single person came an envelope that gave a unique identity. And in that envelope, as you read through the the characteristics of your unique identity, what you found is it carried with it things that would be typical of your normal life. It would tell you about who your alliances are and who your enemies are and what your job struggles have been. It was all the regular details of normal life. And so everybody in the room, they are dressed to the nines. They have envelopes with information about who they're supposed to be that evening. And everybody is full tilt. They are all the way in wanting to play this game as well as possible. And so I walked in skeptical, but man, I don't play to participate. I'm here to win. And so they flash the lights, guy falls out. And next thing you know, the murders happened and I'm a police chief. Like that was my role the night of. And so I'm out there doing my due diligence. I'm collecting evidence. I'm conducting interviews. I'm making sure that I'm going to get to the bottom of whoever this murderer is. I am going to win the evening. And then intermission happens. We make it a couple hours into the game and the lights come back up and everybody breaks character for a moment and gets a sip of water. And what we find out is that there's more information for us to learn. And so I get a new envelope, which contains four very important words that change the entire course of my evening. You are the murderer. (laughs) Exactly. So you can imagine what happened to me in this moment. Literally the entire time that I've been playing this game, I have been angling it one direction. But in this moment, everything changed for me. Like I had to absolutely adapt to the fact that I could not be who I had been. Like I knew in that instance, I had to be different things to different people. I had demands that I had to satisfy because I wasn't safe with anyone. If people found out who I was and I was exposed, it would mean the end of my night. Now, why do I tell you that? For a couple of reasons. Number one, to brag about the fact that I never got caught. (laughs) 
And number two, to demonstrate how similar this is to the way so many of us live, except we're not in a game. So many of us feel like we have to be different things for different people because we're not safe being the real us with anyone. Like the world is propagating this message, like, hey, you do you, bro. And yet too often we realize like me being me isn't quite enough. And so we start contorting ourselves. We contort ourselves professionally and socially and romantically and even spiritually because we're just trying to be enough for everybody out there. And to the point that we've contorted ourselves so much that we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. Does this sound like you? This is my story. And the reason why I wanted to unpack this scripture tonight that we're going to be walking through is because this is the greatest lesson God has taught me in the last three years, two and a half years that I've been in the city of Houston. And so I want you to learn from my experience. And it's not only a story that's personal to me, it's a story personable to the guy that we're actually going to be looking at together tonight. We sang about him tonight, the God of Jacob. We're going to look at Jacob's life. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Genesis. That's book number one, so you won't have to work hard to find it. But what you'll find is that as we come to meet this guy named Jacob, he is one of the patriarchs in the Bible. He is a hero of the faith. And he is absolutely a scoundrel. Like the guy is is a con artist, man. Like his name, Yaakov. Say Yaakov with me. Yaakov. Congrats. You just spoke Hebrew. Uh, Yaakov means usurper or supplanter. Like his identity is one that says, man, I am going to swindle my way into getting whatever it is that I want. And as you read over the course of his life, which we're not gonna do together tonight, but you can take my word for it. As you read his story, you find that's exactly what he does. Like he finesses his way into getting everything that he wants. He becomes whatever he needs to become to achieve whatever he wants to achieve because he's really just not happy with the way that God made him. And so we're gonna look at his story tonight. And what we find as we read along is that he's in a moment where all of his identity issues are about to be confronted because God shows up. And so it's in Genesis chapter 32, as all of you turn there, that we read these words, verses 22 through 24. It says this, and you can catch it on the screens as well. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left all alone. So we can't see it in these verses because we're really catching this movie in the middle of its showing. And yet what we need to know is that the context around this story, it is critical in order for us to understand what exactly is going to happen. How is God going to confront all of Jacob's identity problems? What's he going to do? Well, we have to understand the context here is that Jacob is really in a moment where he's trying to preserve his life. He's doing what Jacob does. He's angling and maneuvering and he's trying to make sure that he can keep everything that he's worked so hard to accumulate because his brother Esau is on his way to meet him, which sounds like a nice family reunion. And yet the truth of the matter is that's not exactly what's going to happen. Jacob is the brother that he swindled out of all of his inheritance. He was the firstborn Esau. And yet Jacob convinced his father to give him the blessing instead. He deceived him. He lived up to his name. And what we know is because of that, Jacob has inherited all sorts of wealth and property and and just prominence in the region that deservedly belonged to Esau. 
And so Esau's on his way to meet his brother. They haven't talked since Jacob stole everything and snuck out the back door. And Esau's on his way, not by himself, but with 400 armed men. What do you think is playing through Jacob's mind right now? Payback. Like this guy is about to come get his pound of flesh. Like he wants to take me out and take everything that I took from him. And so what does he do? It says he starts trying to buy his brother off. He sends over all of his possessions, all of his property, even his own family, until he's at a point where he is totally left by himself. He is all alone. And then that's when God shows up. Like it's not coincidental that God will only confront Jacob's identity issues when Jacob is at last alone. And the same is true for you and I. That if you want to get to the bottom of your identity crisis, your problem, your issues, then the first thing you need to know is that you have to stop hiding behind other things. You have to stop hiding behind other things. This is the way that God will work in our lives as he tries to establish and affirm his God-given identity to us. It isn't until we're truly alone with God that we're truly available to God. That until we separate ourselves from the various things that we find our identity. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know for myself, like before I worked in ministry, I found my identity in my job and in my relationship status and how much money I was making and what my friends thought of me. Every one of us is identifying with something other than God himself to find some sense of security in this life. So what's it for you? But it's only after all of those things are rid from your presence, when everything is removed from you, that you become, you become available for God to actually fix. You see, you have to be vulnerable to become fixable. Anybody work in the medical field here? Yeah, they're quiet. They don't speak up. Uh, what they would tell you is that you have to, in order to properly clean a wound, to dress a wound, you have to properly expose the wound. I remember I was 14 years old, hooping in the driveway with my best friend. We're doing what boys do. Like we're out there, we lower the rim and we start yamming it because we want to feel big, you know? And I'm out there and I'm like, okay, I've got to one up my buddy. And so I decided to do Vince Carter's famous, like arm through the rim dunk. And so I go up and I stuff myself on the rim. I fall to the asphalt. And as I hit the asphalt, I break my elbow. So we get up, we drive to the hospital. And as we're on our way to the hospital, uh, we pull in. I, I'm devastated, trying to hold it together, but certainly having a difficult time with it all. And so we walk in and they begin to prepare to set it. But before they can set my elbow, they have to clean it because it was full of black asphalt. And so my nurse, this mountain of a man from East Texas, walks in with a little bitty scrubby brush and he just starts working my elbow. Like he is working so hard to clean the wound. And he told me, hey, I have got to properly clean the wound. I have to expose the wound in order for us to dress this thing and set it correctly. The same is true with your identity. It has to be exposed. We have to be exposed if God is going to fix that which needs to be fixed in our life. We must remove anything that we would normally find security in until we are vulnerable enough for him to do his work. And from Jacob's example, we learned that we typically find security in one of two places. We didn't read it, but if you go and you look at verses 13 through 21 in this chapter, you see that Jacob, it lists out all the things that he owns and sends away. And it falls into two categories, trophies and titles. Trophies and titles. What are trophies? Trophies are the possessions that we acquire by adapting our identity. These are the things that your paycheck 
purchases for you, what your money goes to at the end of the day, the car you drive, the uh, place you live in, the clothes you wear, whatever it is that you spend your money on. Like these are the trophies that you want to, you want to be associated with in your life. For Jacob, this was his property, his servants. This is all of his wealth. Like he sends all of this stuff to his brother because he doesn't want his brother to come and do, uh, do poorly with him. In the same way, we find so much of our identity in the things that we own. But it's not just that, it's also in titles, the positions that we acquire by adapting our identity. For Jacob, because he stole from his brother and he was trying to angle his way into security, what did he find? He became a husband and a father and an employer and a property manager. For you, it's gonna be, man, I, I work in this job or I'm the most popular amongst my friends. or I'm the best looking in the room. I don't know what title it is for you. And yet it's in trophies and titles that we find our security. God will take all of it away to fix you. He wants to pull all of it out of your life. That way you are vulnerable enough to at last be fixable as he wants. This is the first thing we see as God comes to confront our identity problems, but it's not the last thing. The second thing we see is in verses 24 through 25. And Jacob was left alone and a man, spoiler alert, God, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So we can admit, like this story's weird, right? Like there's nowhere else in the Bible that you're gonna see God show up in human form and wrestle another guy down. Like that just doesn't happen. And yet whenever the Bible puts a story that is uniquely distinct from the rest of the scripture, it's there for good reason. And so it begs the question, why is this story in our scripture? What is God trying to communicate? Well, think about Jacob's situation. What's he trying to avoid? A fight. And so that's exactly what God brings to him. Jacob is doing everything in his manipulative power to get away from fighting his brother. But it's only then that the real fight begins. He has nothing to hide behind. He's all alone, which is pretty profound. He has nothing. And then at that moment that God shows up and begins to work him out. Because you see, friends, God loves you too much to not confront your identity issues. He loves you too much. Like he doesn't want to leave you wrestling with whatever insecurities you feel about yourself, whatever anxiety hangs over you about those things that you wish you could change yet you cannot change. God wants to tackle that stuff head on. Like he wants to confront it directly. And yet too often we don't want this for ourselves. But God's a good dad in doing so. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 7, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it's productive. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. If you are God's son in the room, if you are God's daughter in the room, he will discipline you because he loves you. And yet rather than let God deal with our insecurities and resolve our issues, we try to do it on our own. Like we often try to take care of our own problems and, and deal with our own securities our own way because we don't trust him. We trust ourselves instead. And so we do it in a couple of different ways. Like oftentimes what I see as I work with young adults is when it comes to their insecurities, what they do is they try to suppress them. 
Like they try to just squeeze them down as much as possible, minimize them to the point that you cannot see them. They try to avoid them. They try to ignore them. They try to do what I did to my truck in college. Like I tried to ignore the fact that my truck had some steering issues until eventually the point I couldn't ignore it anymore. Like the steering column came loose from the front axle and I needed to turn left and we are barely straight on. Like I am stuck in a moment of absolute crisis because I didn't trust there's someone who knows better that can actually fix it. I ignored the problem. I suppressed it. Or we obsess over it. Like we're so insecure and so we spend hours in front of the mirror just trying to make this work. Or we spend hours at the gym just trying to get the bicep to peak a little bit more. Or we just spend hours thinking about the conversations that, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Or why did I stupid. Like, why did I say that one thing? Why, like, what are they thinking about? We, we obsess over the fact that we have deep-rooted insecurities when rather than just suppress them or obsess over them, we should confess them. We should just tell him. God knows. He made you. Like, he literally put you together. He knows exactly the things that you feel embarrassed by that you wish you could change those aspects of your identity that you're working so hard to contort and just make sense to the rest of the world. He's like, no, man, like, just come to me with it. I'll fix it for you. I can fix that. You see, the difference in who you are today and who you become tomorrow is found by way of wrestling with him. And so we don't avoid the fight. We don't run from it. He wants to engage with us. And so we engage with him and we trust him to deal really kindly with us because that's his heart. And what we find is that it's not a very pleasant experience. I don't know what you're expecting, but if you've ever wrestled before, wrestling is anything but easy. And they don't just wrestle. They do it all night long. This is going to be difficult. And like as a peer to you, man, I just want to look at you and say, if you're signing up for this, it is for your good, yet it will be really difficult, but it's worth it. This is what we're called to do because on the other side of it, there's blessing. That's where it goes on as we read along. He says in verse 26, and then he said, let me go for the day is broken. Come on, bro. Like this is sensible, man. We've been at this all night. Let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? Do you hear the question about identity? And Jacob, for the first time in his life, answers honestly. You see, if you read Jacob's story, what you find is that there's two moments where he's asked, who are you? The first time, he flat out lies. He says that he is Esau. He calls himself by his brother's name. Because again, he wants to become something he isn't to get something he can't. And yet in this moment, he finally just fesses up. No, man, I'm Jacob. This is who I am. I've got nothing else to hide behind. And I've been wrestling with you all night long. What more do I have to lose? I'm Jacob. And he answers honestly for the first time. And what we see is it makes all the difference. Because he realized he can't become something he isn't to get something he can't. I remember 
My first year working for Breakaway, when T and I uh, first started out together, we would every year do this gathering. It was men's and women's Breakaway. It would be a worship gathering for the boys and worship gathering for the girls. And we'd bring in equally great guest speakers for both groups. And so I'm a guy on staff, and so I'm likely not going to be with the ladies. I make my way to hang out with the boys at night. And so we're doing worship, and it's amazing. I'm sitting with our guest speaker. I'm kind of hosting him for the night, making sure that he has everything he needs. And then as I'm serving the room, just looking around, I noticed there are two guys like sitting like three quarters of the way in the back, kind of like where y'all are back there. And they're just far enough that I can't make out what they look like, but they're sitting there and they've got hats pulled on, hoodies over the hats and sunshades on in a worship center, which is just suspicious behavior. You know, can we admit, why do you need shades on when the lights are out? It makes no sense whatsoever. And so uh, I do what any sensible person would do. I go to investigate. And so I make my way over, I sneak around the back, I get close to where they're sitting and you'll never guess what I found. Not two guys, but two girls <laughs> sitting in the men's worship gathering. Are you in here by chance, the two ladies that did this? I would love to know if it's you. Uh, <laughs> these two ladies are sitting in our worship gathering with all the boys. And so I had to ask them, I'm like, what are y'all doing in here? We just love this guest speaker. <laughs> you see, they became something they weren't to get something they couldn't. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jacob does. And so many of us do this too. Like so many of us, we become things we're not to get things we can't. When instead, in our third step towards working through our, our, our identity problems is we just need to start admitting who we are. We got to start admitting who we are. That's what Jacob does. He finally owns the fact that his name is Jacob. And he's not Esau. Which is big because this guy, he's built his entire life and his wealth and his family. His entire existence has revolved around the idea of being someone else that he thought had a better advantage, a better first step in life than he did. He built his whole existence on this reality that he was someone else. And yet in this moment, he finally just fesses up and owns, that's not me, I'm someone different. And it's in that moment that finally, guess what? He gets what he's always wanted, a blessing. He lied to his dad. He deceived his brother to get the blessing that God always intended to give to him. If he would just be willing to own the fact that he is who God made him to be. Friends, God has a blessing for you. And I'm not saying what that blessing is. It doesn't mean that you're going to get some fat check that you're going to be able to cash and go buy whatever you want. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the dream job that you've always aspired for. It doesn't mean that you're going to meet that guy, that girl this year. Hate to break it to you. What it does mean, though, is that God knows better what's intended for your future than you do. You can trust him with it. That's what this all boils down to, is a lack of trust in God. That God, you don't know what I need. You don't know as well as I do. I know me. You don't know me like I know me. And he's sitting here saying, if only you would trust me and admit the fact that I've made you as you are. I'd lead you into places, the likes of which you'd never dream you'd go. I would take you towards blessing that you've always wanted for. But you got to stop relying on yourself. This is what he's doing with Jacob. And he wants us to admit the same. This is a really hard thing to do. Nothing about this talk is easy. Wrestling with God, that sucks. It's a really hard thing. I've been there. And admitting the fact that you're not as awesome as you try to make everyone else think you are, that's difficult too. It takes a great deal of humility 
to sit in front of God himself as well as others and say, I don't have it all together like you think. But it's in that place that God says, exactly, and I can work with that. I've made you as you are. Stop trying to be something you're not. Stop faking it, finessing it, to put on some sort of facade that fools the world into thinking you're much more than I've actually made. No, if you would just trust me, I will make you all of that and more. You see, we have to reckon with the reality that God, he didn't misassemble the parts when he designed you. Like you didn't, you didn't fall into the defective pile. You're exactly as he wants. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. It says in verses 13 through 16, for you, God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you see like God's own hands were on your life? This isn't in my notes. Whatever the thing is that you hate about yourself, God's own hand was put to it. The fact that you don't like the way you look, the social quirks that you have, the way that you talk, that you're not as tall as you, whatever it is, man. Like God, he made you like that. The greatest commandment is, is love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind. Heart we can figure out. That makes sense. Mind makes sense. Okay, let me fix my attention on you. got affections and attention. But what is the point with loving God with your soul? How does that work? Anybody, have you ever wondered, love God with your soul? I don't know. Like, that feels crazy. It means to love God exactly as he's designed you to be. That word for soul in Hebrew, it's the word nefesh. And it, it literally, it can be translated as well as breath. That God breathed into you a God-given identity, and you cannot love him fully until you live into that fully. He's given you a very specific design. He formed your inward parts. He knit you together in your mother's womb. I praise you, God, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul, Nefesh, knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. Friends, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this. And I don't know how easy this will be to, re how easy this will be to receive. And yet you need to know you have been so intentionally and so beautifully designed by God. And I'm telling this to you as a guy that needed someone to speak it to me. That wanted so badly for the approval and acceptance of others that I would do anything to get it. When in reality, I am already all that God wants. I'm exactly as he intrinsically designed. Who you are intrinsically is from God. But catch this, who you become eventually is for God. This is not a license to sin. This is not an opportunity to say, well, God made me this way, so deal with it. Like, that's not what I'm communicating here. This is a, an acknowledgement that, God, you've made me in your image, and you have designed me for your purposes. And when we reckon with that, we can admit who we are. That's the third step. The fourth step we find in verses 28 through 30. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. 
for you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. I love that God asks him that. Why are you asking me? I just threw your hip socket out with the touch of a finger. It's pretty obvious. And he gets it. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. What does God say to Jacob in this moment? Like after all the the, the frustration and the fighting, God looks at Jacob and he says, you want a new identity? You can't give it to yourself. You want a new future, a new destiny? You can't find that either. I can give it to you. I'm the one that gives new identity. I'm the one that gives new destiny. You want a new purpose? Then come here. Stop trying on your own. Stop wrestling it out on your own grit. Like just come to me and we can work together. I've got great plans. I'll lead you to them. Just come here. He does. And you know what he finds? A name that to this day still describes the people of God according to our scriptures. The nation of Israel were the children of Israel. And to this day, as God has sent his own son, we have all been invited into his family. Jacob not only got a new name, a greater identity than he could ever find on his own, but he got a greater destiny. He got to live towards something that would be a blessing to everyone. And the same can be true for you. How? When you have seen God face to face and yet been delivered when you meet Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, face to face with you and me, and wanting to give away new identity, wanting to call you by a new name, wanting to invite you into new purpose, wanting to assign you to a new destiny. That's what happens whenever we come into the, whenever we place our faith in God and we enter into his family, what we find is that everything changes. You want stuff to change? All you have to do is believe. And that fast, it's all different. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus, what 2 Corinthians tells us is that God gives you a new identity. He gives you a new identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That once you place your faith in Jesus, he gives you a new destiny. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, may, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is available to you if you do the fourth and final step, if you at last start accepting what God says about you, that I've got a new name and I've got a new purpose. I can give you, give you new identity. I can give you new destiny. Just come to me. And the reason we all know it's true is because God has sent his own son to change you in ways the likes of which you could never change yourself. So friends, stop hating your hardwiring. Stop indulging your insecurities. Instead, embrace the fact that your story is forever different because Jesus, the son of God, the long-proclaimed Messiah, entered into our story. And he changed it forever. You see, Jesus, when he came in the flesh, the son of God became the son of man. When he stepped into our world, what we knew is that Jesus never once hid who he was. 
Like he always made perfectly clear, hey, I, I am who I say I am. I'm perfect. I'm totally secure. I'm unafraid of anything. Sure, sometimes he would veil it, but it was to accomplish God's greater good. But when it mattered at the final moment, he didn't hide at all. But he bore his identity fully that the world might find their own, that we might not hide any longer. Jesus, he never ran from the fight. Like every single one of us enslaved to our sin, we were bound and captive, led into darkness. And yet Jesus Christ, he didn't run away from what was a really terrifying situation. He ran straight into it. He entered into the fray. He crossed the halls of heaven in the, the corridors of history to get to you and me. And he did it because he wanted you for himself. He wanted to give you a new identity. Like he never once concealed who he was, but he admitted it by way of living the perfect life and doing what we could not, dying the death we all deserve. The wages of sin is what? It is death. That's what we deserve, eternal separation from God. Jesus stepped into the story, not concealing himself, but admitting who he is, that by his life and his death and then on his resurrection, he could declare, I am who I say I am. And any that would place their faith in me shall follow me where I go. And amazingly, Jesus never rejected what God said about you and me. In his life, despite the way that people treated him, despite the sinfulness of us all, Jesus knew God has has called you sons and daughters. And so I will look upon you and call you brothers and sisters. When you scorn me, I'll serve you. When you mock me, I'll still meet with you. When you hate me, I'll love you. This is the heart of our God for you. You want a new identity? You got problems with the way things are? Stop trying to do it on your own because there is infinite blessing, better identity and greater destiny with him than you'll find anywhere else. Let me pray for us. Father, as I just consider God, the implications of a message like this, a talk, God, from the truth of your word. So consequential, Lord, that I, I fear any would miss it. As I think about that, God, I, I just genuinely want you, God, to come and move amongst us. And that's been the heart all night. And yet, God, now in this moment, as people reckon with the things they dislike about themselves, the insecurities, God, they try and stuff down or compensate for on their own. As they consider, God, what may feel deficient in their life, distressing even, I pray, God, we would know. You're here and you're saying, come to me. 
For some God, it's going to require a fight. It's going to require a wrestling match. God, that's what it required for me. Like I had to fight with you, Lord, and yet I'm so much better on the other side of it. And I know they will be too. Some here tonight, God, they have reached the end of themselves. They have bottomed out. And it's now, God, that you want to work. I pray they know, Lord, though they may have been laid low, you, God, will raise them high because you pull them to yourself and you make them like your son. Others, God, they have not reached that place, but they're here tonight and they know, man, like I'm watching these things, listening to these things, saying these things, thinking these things, going these places, behaving like this all because I do have some insecurity, some things about myself that I don't like. I'm mismanaging my money. I'm I'm mismanaging my calendar. I'm being foolish in my conduct because I just want people to like me. I just, God, want others' acceptance. I just want to be enough. By the shed blood and body of your son, you have already declared to all you're enough. If that's you tonight, Stop striving and start surrendering. We're going to move to a time of worship now, and it's a chance for you to stand and and engage honestly in a moment with the Lord, to take off the mask, to stop saving face, and to, to engage with Him right where you are, to not hide behind things, to not run from the fight, but to admit who you are and accept what He says. You're forgiven. You're loved, you're mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray.